Hey Jordan, how's it going? Hey, it's uh, it's going. It's going over here as well. Um, we're into that. You know, you're a, you're a former East Coast guy, so we're into that very very depressing stretch over here, where it is uh, pitch black at about four thirty in the afternoon. Uh, it's cold all the time. I'm gearing up for another six months of of uh, bad stuff over here. I gotta I gotta get a vitamin D supply this year because I don't know if I can make it through. I don't know if I can do this this time. I say that every year, and then somehow I find my way through. But yeah, that's what's going on here. It's dark and bleak and depressing, and I hate it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, it's 72, and sun is just starting to set here, so it's kind of mm. the same thing. Yeah, kind of the same thing. <laughs> Surrounded by beautiful sunshine and mountainous views. At Perfect all times. blue skies every day. <laughs> <laughs> there was one cloud yesterday. Oh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's tough. It was okay. I got through That's it. It's really rough. rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gearing up to watch the debate tonight. The GOP oh, debate. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Yeah. Love it. I'm sure we're that's going to be really pizzazz. entertaining. <laughs> we're missing, the, we're missing the, the greatest showman. It's true. I don't know. I'm still... I'm still so feeling like this aftermath of the the now iconic uh, Donald Duck burn. God, how do you Chris top Christie. that? Yeah, I still have not gotten over that. I mean, why? They should have just canceled the whole debate. He should have just become the nominee. I think so. He should have just become the nominee after that because that was just, there's no way to, there's no way to ever recover from that. Trump is finished, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, what a bizarre set of circumstances, right? You have these, these like the Republican field, they're debating the most popular Republican figure and the presumptive nominee who's still far like leading everyone, including the current president, <laughs> leading everyone in the polls who's under, who's having like five different indictments going on. <laughs> it's certainly a strange and unique set of circumstances here. Um, <laughs> that I can't recall ever seeing a similar sort of situation. Uh, you know, the U.S. government has always been a bizarre circus full of uh, freaks and weirdos and uh, just a constant horror show. But this is definitely unique, even for the United States government. Unique situation. It is. I <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. Trump just holding rallies that compete with the debate is, is really a fascinating tactic and that his absence from these debates, not impacting his polling numbers at all. You know, people have said it for years, debates don't matter, but this I think is the biggest evidence. This is the most concrete proof that I've seen that they really don't matter. That, the leading candidate doesn't even show up. Everyone takes pot shots at him to varying degrees, and it just doesn't matter. People are still backing Trump 100%. Other people are falling out. People people who participated aren't even growing. That just shows yeah. kind of what a sham these all are. I'm still going to watch it because I'm a sicko. <laughs> it's hilarious that Mike Pence even just suspended his campaign. <laughs> yeah. Like, He's not even bothering. Very quietly. Like, no one wants this. Yeah. Clearly, no one wants this. The former yep. vice president and the current front runner had to have his supporters, <laughs> tried to have his supporters string him up in front of the Capitol building. And he's still just, <laughs> he's got nothing still. He also had a good line last debate about sleeping with a teacher for, for like yeah. 20 years. But that yeah, was a gem. Like you were saying, that's, that was a little blue for, for Mike Pence, uh, <laughs> talking about mother that way. Um, I don't know. You know what? It's like I've I've already been becoming a lot more cynical about paying attention to this kind of thing to to that extent, um, to what's going on with like electoral politics anywhere to like in Canada or the United States. Um, you know, it's something that over the course of the years uh, I've become a lot more uh, a lot more cynical about. But I find it even harder right now with the 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 bombardment of Gaza still going on full support from the Biden administration although they you know they've tried to 
distanced themselves a little bit. I saw a moment, a, a couple of moments ago, something from Anthony Blinken talking about their their red lines about Gaza and trying to ensure that they are staking out some kind of position that doesn't totally implicate them in this. But I think that's not really going to be possible for them. And uh, it's not like anyone on the Republican side has a different vision for what to do. If anything, they're going to be even more rapidly pro-Israel than even uh, Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken are. And it's just, I find it like it's it's so difficult to even force myself to pay attention to it, uh, given just the the nature of the just the horror show that is still ongoing right now. Yeah, and we get into that. We get into how all yeah. these things intertwine with our guest Jody Jacobson. Jody, somebody who whose work I've appreciated for a while now. It was a great conversation with her. We talked about the win in Ohio this week to protect abortion rights. And while that is a sign that Republicans are running on really unpopular platforms, Democrats are not out of the woods yet. And the challenge that especially the Biden administration is facing is how do you generate enthusiasm going into 2024 when you have large swaths of the Democratic base upset right now for how the administration is handling the situation in Gaza. So great conversation with Jody. Uh, Really, really think you all will, I think you all will enjoy it. Yeah. And um, uh, on our previous episode, we spoke with uh, Eva Borgwart of If Not Now. We've had a number of, of, I think, a really interesting and insightful and well, hopefully insightful uh, or helpful conversations over the last couple of weeks. So if you want to uh, get access to those episodes, you are free to do so by subscribing to the podcast, which you can do at uh, insurgentspod.com. I guess this is not really the best way of like making this pitch. We are planning on unlocking uh, a lot of the, the episodes that we've been doing lately because we have had some really fantastic conversations. So, you know, really maybe, you know, maybe that's not the best way of, of pitching that. If you want to support the podcast, obviously we, re- we really deeply appreciate uh, all the support from everyone that listens to the show and supports it. That is how you can get access to all those bonus content, all that bonus content. And if you can do that, we appreciate it. And uh, that's all. That's where you do it. Insurgentspot.com. <laughs> yeah. As Smooth. A, if you can, if if you can support the show, we really appreciate it. Five bucks a month, you get an additional episode every week. And yes, we, we do plan on unlocking our recent episodes on this conflict because we've had a wide range of guests from a variety of different perspectives. And we do think a lot of you would appreciate hearing from all of them. If you still can support the show, that would be very helpful. We really, really appreciate it. And we're, we're grateful to each and every one of you. Should we get into our conversation with Jody? Let's do that. Yes. Uh, really enjoyed speaking with Jody Jacobson, and she is going to be joining the show right after this. Jody, Rob, either of you have big plans to watch the GOP debate tonight? I think I'm just going to catch the highlights. I'm going to leave that to to you, actually. You can go and take in every moment of that, every little nuance, <laughs> and you can fill me in after and let me know how you it got goes. It. Yeah, I think that's yeah, my plan. Yeah, not me. I, I used to have to watch it for work um, when I was running Rewire, and I have taken a break from all of that because I just can't deal <laughs> I still for better. Yeah, I am still in the have to watch for work camp. Uh, And I do think it, uh, as you mentioned, rewire and your history working in abortion politics. And Jody's now the executive director of healthcare across borders. And Jody, I I think this will be a abortion will be a big topic tonight because we're coming off the heels of yet another I'd say red state despite you know growing up there and always thinking that it was at least purple but it does seem like over the past at least 10 years it has been pretty red in Ohio but voters rejected attempts uh, to limit curtail restrict abortion rights and they said overwhelmingly they wanted a constitutional right to abortion in the state of Ohio. 
This is another red state that has sent that message loud and clear to lawmakers. And I think that will be presented in front of the field tonight. Um, but just general like initial takeaways from last night's election. Uh, how did that make you feel? And what do you think that says about the general sentiments on abortion in this country? I mean, I think we have always misjudged people's support for abortion rights because we've had really bad polling and that whole, you know, pro-life framing. So if someone called themselves pro-life, it was never questioned. And someone, you know, there were lots of people that called themselves pro-life, but didn't want to deny other people care. And you knew that from really sensitive polling and focus groups where people were asked, okay, you're against abortion personally, but do you want to deny the ability for your sister, your daughter, your, your aunt to have an abortion if they needed one? And the vast majority of people said, no, I don't want to deny other people that, right, they need to make that choice. So I think we've had a long run of misinformation on abortion. And I think that the Democrats um, failed to really push forward on abortion for a very long time because they're always trying to play, you know, to, to conservatives rather than to their own base. So for a very long time, Democrats didn't want to talk about abortion. They didn't press forward with things that could protected abortion rights, even though we knew a Dobbs kind of decision was going to come at some point. And so, you know, there was this sense that you couldn't touch it. But in fact, it's a very powerful issue that's playing out now, even in states like Ohio, where you have to do heavy lifting to get people to the polls in a an off-year election, especially since there's a lot of voter suppression in states like Ohio. And um, I, I just think it's a different world. Now, the question is whether, you know, there are different questions. One is whether Democrats will understand the message they're receiving. Two, um, whether we understand the kind of limitations that some of these ballot initiatives actually are putting in place. And three, whether we understand how the means of providing abortion care is changing rapidly. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, but it's a huge win. Yeah, it does seem to me to be a case where a lot of the discourse is driven by this extremely vocal minority in the conservative movement. And it can, I think it seems like they have more actual, more of an actual constituency than they do because they have so much institutional backing. You've got the whole Republican party uh, devoted to this. You've got all these think tanks, you've got conservative media talking about this issue, but, and the, you know, of course the, the evangelical movement, but like you said, I think for, a lot of people don't view it in the same kind of very hard line way and don't actually want these rights to be restricted or taken away to the extent that they have. Um, it's kind of an example of, of this sort of sleight of hand that happens where because of the overwhelming uh, power that they have to push this kind of messaging, it gives people kind of a, the wrong idea about how broadly these issues are really supported by everyone. I think that the, the anti-trans stuff is another example of that. I think a lot of this, what you saw in the election results last night kind of proves that, that they've pushed this so much and they've tied all their electoral chances, the conservative movement around these kind of culture war issues. And I know, you know, millions of women abortion is not just a culture war issue, but, but really tying their whole electoral prospects to these kinds of uh, extremely reactionary ideas and yet going after trans kids and going after abortion rights with broadly as it keeps being proven doesn't actually have that much popularity. You wonder at one point if they might eventually realize that, hey, it's actually these are actually deeply unpopular policies that we've completely wedded ourselves to. Yeah, I think you have to realize or we all have to realize that these things are core to their bigger agenda. Controlling reproduction, controlling sexuality is core to their bigger agenda of what they think the United States should look like and be, right? The type of person that MAGA Mike Johnson is, is someone who thinks that women shouldn't really have many rights and there should be no LGBTQ people and that they're an aberration and that there's a certain kind of way the United States should be. And you can't get there from here without controlling reproduction and controlling sexuality and controlling labor and demography. So I think that 
at, at a certain point, you know, it's, it's really not about belief about life or anything else because they're killing kids right and left by other policies, but it really is about their larger project of a whiter America that has, you know, an ample number of people who are willing to work for very low wages and who can be oppressed. But, um, but it's just a completely different mindset. And it's so different than the world in which most of us live that people have a hard time, like really conceiving of that. That's what they actually want. And so, you know, they hang on these pro-life, but you guys know this as well as I do, right? They have a whole media ecosystem that pushes these things. They have a compliant democratic party oftentimes that unfortunately has played to that. And so I think now we're kind of at the point where we are going to break through to another level. That said, you know, we have a lot of history in the United States where voters have spoken, South Dakota being a state, Mississippi being a state where large referenda or where referenda were put forward to curtail abortion rights in 2006 and then 2011, and they were soundly defeated and the legislatures turned around and passed those anyway. So, you know, I think we have to still be very um, mindful of the power they've built at the state level that we've unfortunately allowed them to build at the state level by, by ignoring the state level. And so in places like, you know, Kentucky or, Mississippi, we still have legislatures that are willing to go against the people's will. And um, and we have to contend with that, um, that we won't have truly universal rights for everyone until we contend with those facts. States will certainly, I think Ohio even tried to limit what you can do via ballot initiative in in advance of this because they were a a bit pessimistic about the prospects, uh, Ohio Republicans, that is. I'm wondering, in your perspective, if you think they they will change their tactics and approach. And I I saw a couple things in cable news last night and today that made me wonder if this really was a wake-up call for them or if they're just going to continue. Maybe they'll continue down the line. But this morning... Fox News on Harris Faulkner had a pollster talking about how, just in plain terms, this shows this is a deeply unpopular issue with Americans. And this is just the, almost verbatim on Fox News this morning. That's not how this issue has really ever been framed on that network. And I think that was a, ch- a change of tone. But then last night, <laughs> Vivek Ramaswamy, who's probably the most eager and opportunistic candidate in that field was talking about how they need to have uh, more of a burden on sexual responsibility for men. And that would be his approach. (laughs) He wanted to codify sexual responsibility and obligations for men. And this is just gobbledygook, but that he is changing his tune a little bit and that they are talking about it in plain terms about this unpopularity on Fox. I'm wondering how you think uh, Republican politicians and other operatives are going to try to frame this issue going forward, maybe still seeking the same ends, but just in a, just in a different way. I mean, I think you're exactly right, but I think we're in a place right now where they're kind of going like, what? <laughs> and we lost all of this, you know, in Virginia, they were supposed to have their favorite son, Glenn Youngkin, you know, go on to the presidency and he lost both houses. Right. And, he had this rational compromise he was putting forth of a 15-week abortion ban. It's not a rational compromise. It's not a compromise. Um, and it's and it's just evidence that people do not want the government involved. That said, I think that they're still kind of reeling. Like I heard one program, I can't remember which one it was, um, either early this morning or last night, that where folks were talking about what well, we need to find new messengers and to really think about our our messages. And I'm thinking, no, it's the policy, stupid. It's just the policy. And so, you know, they I think some of them are sort of going to look for new ways, like you said, Ramaswamy. Some of them are just thinking they have to just use a different strategy. And thirdly, I think the danger in some of the ballot initiatives that we're seeing put forth with the language 
is that they leave open a question of viability, which we should have been getting rid of, and that has been seen to be that 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 I think the right is going to play with the issue of viability as a way of dealing with the ballot initiatives. That's a potential way that I think they'll respond. In in Ohio, for example, you know, the the ballot initiative is about having abortion available till viability, but viability is a fudgy term and you know, the right likes to identify viability as a fetal heartbeat when there is no fetal heartbeat at the time so that they have those those bans. So I think I think we're gonna see more pushback in other ways. I don't think they're done with this project. I think if in fact we unfortunately lose the presidency next year, there's a lot of damage that can be done, especially if we lose the Senate. But um but it's a complete mismatch with what people want. And I I don't know that they've totally absorbed that yet. And in some cases, I don't know that they care because the degree of, you know, sort of thirst for a dictatorship in among the Republican Party is so great that I think you see evidence of that when you've got a ballot initiative in a place like Mississippi that's overwhelmingly defeated on a so-called personhood amendment in 2011, and the legislature just goes right in and passes it. So, you know, I think that their building of power in these states is all about overriding the will of the voters. You mentioned, um, you know, the possibility of of uh, the Democrats losing the presidency last year. Well, if you look at some of the recent swing state polling, especially in light of their full-on backing of the the horrific uh, bombing campaign in Gaza right now, which seems to be contributing to them completely hemorrhaging support, you know, especially among young people. Uh, there's been some pretty disastrous polling, which doesn't always equal um, actual results, uh, but probably something that's making them pretty anxious, I imagine. I guess I have two quite, like, two things I wanted to ask about. Number one is that as much as Democrats kind of campaign on abortion rights and protecting them, it hasn't been lost on a lot of people that these that this decision came through and that abortion rights have been ripped away from uh, millions of women and others that need abortions, like while, while on Biden's watch. Um, so I guess number one, like, do, do you think there's any credibility to that kind of argument when people kind of uh, criticize Biden for kind of standing by and allowing that to happen? And is there anything that the Democrats could do now um, outside of the sort of election election talk to restore these rights or protect abortion rights um, with the power that they currently have now before that, that potentially changes. Yeah. I mean, we had our chance a couple of times and we did it. And my theory about that is that abortion fear drives donations. It has driven donations for a long time, like for 25 years I have seen, and I was a lobbyist for a long time. I have seen Democrats punt on things they could do and then raise money on the things they didn't do. Yeah. In other words, like, <laughs> you know, abortion rights are at risk. We're not telling you that yesterday we decided to kill a bill that could have protected them. And so I think seems like that, people are getting kind of tired of seeing this happen time and time exactly, and time again. Exactly. So, you know, now without the House, of course, we can't do much um, in the way of passing legislation. And while I think that there is a lot that the administration still could do, at, you know, through administrative power, um, it hasn't shown an appetite for that. So I think, you know, unfortunately, um, vote harder is our is our choice at this moment. That said, the administration is doing nothing to encourage people to really be passionate about this administration. And they keep wanting people to be passionate about the things that they think they should be passionate about, whereas they're missing the mark on what people telling them are telling them they want to be passionate about. And I think what you're seeing with this disastrous, murderous war in Gaza is that it's taking further you know, potential support and energy away from the administration because 
they have handled it so poorly. Having said that, and look, I'm Jewish. I have an ethic of Judaism that I believe in that is promoting of justice and everyone's human rights. I don't care who you are, you deserve human rights. And the Democratic Party, unfortunately, has come, as has the Republican Party, to rely on groups that will excuse anything the Israeli government does. I don't want to separate Israel from the Israeli government. Groups like APAC are effectively fascist enablers. I'm just going to say that. And so you've got so much money in politics. You've got Democrats for Israel. You've got um, you know, the ADL calling every kind of human rights, you know, plea anti-Semitic. And you've got today Brown students being arrested, Jewish Brown students, Jewish students at Brown being arrested for peacefully protesting for a ceasefire. I mean, this is just not okay. And it's seen as all part of an effort to squelch conversation about what I believe is actually a genocide. So I think it's really problematic for the administration because you're not going to buy with abortion rights wins the votes of people who care deeply about the rights of all people. And the, the fact that the administration went in and bear hugged Netanyahu, who is clearly not a fan of democracy, um, really set the pace for a terrible chain of events. And I don't know that they even understand yet that they have really set in motion a terrible chain of events. And I wonder if they think they can't get out of it because of the amount of money in the system from these other groups. I, I don't, I can't think for them. I just think, I just feel like I'm watching them make one disastrous mistake after another. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable to see how much goodwill that they had built up over the first couple of years of this administration, um, riding on a wave of a ton of enthusiasm from younger voters that that coupled with, uh, women and women of color drove them to victory and it's just slowly they've slowly been abandoning it and they're ignoring everyone saying hey whoa <laughs> there are huge warning signs here i talked to somebody who's close to the campaign last week about that calculus and this person said that they don't seem to think they have the influence over the israeli government that some of their critics many of their critics and us included uh think they have. And I don't think that's true. I mean, the Israeli government has admitted that. And we've seen that in past conflicts, that when the U.S. really ups the ante, forces Israel's hand, the Israeli government's hand, they will change course, whatever they're doing. But on this, I think just because the the act and what Hamas did was so heinous, the U.S. doesn't want to do that. And, and even internally, they're just saying, well, we really can't talk them out of this. They're just going to do it. I just don't think that's true, especially when we're sending them, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in military aid. It's Not like, sending them millions like of dollars two, would probably do a long those way. Those are linked. Yeah. 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 I mean, stop sending, you know, stop saying we're there with you no matter what. Stop sending planes, experts, this, that, and the other thing. Um, $3.3 billion a year to Israel that 97% of which goes to the military. And again, some people will say, Jody, that's anti-Semitic. No, it's fact. And the fact is that for over 15 years now, people like Netanyahu have been enabled time and time again, even though, the, you know, the whole saying about when someone tells you who they are, he's been telling us who he is. <laughs> In yeah. you know, constitutional crises, all sorts of things. What don't we get about this? And yet now we're enabling him. And what I feel is gaslit. I feel gaslit by the administration. Um, you know, first it was, no, you know, they're going to be very careful about civilian casualties. Then it was, no, they're not going to try to push Palestinians out. Then it was, no, they're not going to try to actually occupy Gaza. Whereas the next day, you'd find out exactly the opposite from Netanyahu. Right. And today or yesterday, it was Netanyahu says, no, we're we're not. We are going to occupy them. And so, you know, 
I think either the administration is lying about the conversations it's having, or it's trying to gaslight us and thinks people aren't paying attention and everyone is paying attention. I think we have lost all sense of proportion. What, what Hamas did was horrible. They're, but I don't want to hear how Hamas doesn't care about civilians because they are a terrorist group. We are a democracy. We're supposed to care about people and be more careful and adhere to a set of rules and standards and laws. And what's happening now is just unforgivable. And it's disproportionate. And it's, you know, it's also of a thread with all of the horrible things that members of Netanyahu's government have said about Palestinians. You can't take that out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, going over to give Netanyahu a big hug, like right in the middle of uh, this this kind of mass murder uh, ethnic cleansing campaign is not only grotesque, but it just in terms of the political calculus makes no sense. Netanyahu is not even popular in Israel. Like right. the idea that like they're tethering themselves to this guy who doesn't even seem to respect Biden or Democrats. Like they would, I'm sure they would much rather have a Donald Trump back in there. Um, and have like openly tried to put their finger on the scales to, to kind of ensure that outcome. So it's just bizarre on that level, just kind of like fully, fully endorsing that, fully tethering themselves to that. And yeah, like you said, it's, I don't think it's very convincing when you're, they're trying to make this claim, you know, while we're, of course, we're fully funding this, uh, this war diplomatically we're giving them the okay to do whatever but they kind of try to have the uh, this kind of rapid in this sort of progressive or liberal kind of language saying well behind you know behind the scenes we're right. urging restraint we expect them to abide by international law but like when that has never happened it's not right. happening now um is like israel has been in contravention of international law for decades now with the whole settlement program yes which repeated multiple u.s administrations have said hey can you stop doing that and they just continue doing it over and over with zero consequences and the billions of dollars keep flowing so it's just it's strange to me that they're trying to kind of yeah you can describe it as gaslighting or, or whitewashing what is going on or trying to maybe looking at the number at the numbers that they're looking at trying to distance themselves from it but i think that's going to be a very difficult case to make uh when they're you know fully supporting this and yeah i don't know like maybe it's anecdotal but i've seen a lot of sort of uh people saying you know that this is like the breaking point for them that they can't continue to support this party and they knowing full well that uh, another second donald trump administration or whoever it's going to be if if whatever happens with with donald trump uh, is going to be a disaster, but it's, it just seems like they're, they've pushed this way too far and in this kind of like host, this voter hostage situation where you say, well, you have to vote for us or else the really bad guys are going to come in. That calculus doesn't really seem to be meaning anything to anyone anymore, uh, anymore. And I think there's a lot of people, especially young people, and it's not just this, it's their their lackluster actions on climate. Their, it's the, the abortion rights being stripped away like while they're in power student debt has they've failed to deliver on that and the payments have resumed for student debt you know um, any number of things you could point out it just seems like for a lot of people though they're reaching this breaking point with this this suggestion that they they must vote for uh, the democratic party or else really bad stuff's going to happen it doesn't it just doesn't seem to be meaning anything to anybody anymore i mean i don't know if i'm talking too much but i i totally agree with you and i you know between when I left Rewire and when I um, started what I'm doing now, I spent three years raising funds with Movement Voter Project for grassroots organizing across the country and worked with many colleagues of color who every day face, you know, incredible obstacles to just getting any of their rights recognized. And so when I think of them and I think of them seeing the administration doing this, I, I don't have a second of blame for them throwing up their hands in disgust because, you know, what what you saw when the when the when the um, administration first came in with the Voting Rights Act, which was a very needed thing, and you felt like they weren't fighting for it, and yet all of the folks who really needed it and wanted it fought with the administration, and they kept brushing them off and. It's kind of like not understanding the concept of why people sent you there. And then you have these kind of 
constant insults of Robert Menendez is still on the foreign policy committee and, you know, Democrats voted to censure, censure a fellow Democrat. And, <laughs> you know, you have these constant, Kristen Cinema is now on an important committee in the Senate. I mean, they keep prioritizing people who have shafted all of us. And that sends a message that like how much worse, I'm not saying I want a Trump administration, believe me. But what I am saying is if you're going to hold yourself out as better, you have to be better. And there's not, you know, there's not a sort of systemic core set of values by which I see the Democrats living their lives throughout the party. Yeah, when I see like these comments from people, especially in Michigan, um, Palestinian or Arab American voters who talk about just checking out completely. And like you say, like it, it was, it will be worse if Trump gets reelected. They know that, but think about what them saying that reflects like an internal sense of nihilism or just accepting that their life will get worse and knowing that even casting their vote for Biden, even if he wins, things will still be bad. And things will still be bad for their friends and families uh, and, and loved ones. There's a, it just, I don't think people are really considering just how depressing it is that people are apparently in droves saying this and expressing those sentiments, how they must feel in this moment to feel alone in this country that they care about, that they love, that that's home for them. I, I I'm really off put by, some of these comments and reactions to that just kind of almost taunting them like, well, okay, yes. enjoy Trump. Like what, who are you helping with that? It just, it, them doing that in a position of such vulnerability, it, it, that's horrifying. That must be horrifying for them. And people who are not affected by this, who do not have families affected by us foreign policy in this moment, mocking them, ridiculing them. Like, what are you, who are you winning over with that rhetoric? It's really disgusting. It is disgusting. And, you know, we talk about like, when I worked with MVP, I, I lived back in Wisconsin for a while. I, I spent some years in Wisconsin and it's a state very familiar to me. I'm, I'm not from there. I'm from New York, but, but um, I was working with lots of groups in the Midwest and there's been like a 10 year effort of investment to help organize Arab American, Muslim American, um, Hmong American groups all over the Midwest. And in some of those states, they are key, you know, like when you talk about the margins, they are key voters at the margins. And the amount of effort and organizing that went into, I'm not talking about voter registration, get them to the polls. I'm talking about organizing their communities to get what they needed to get their needs met. And a part of that was voting, but it wasn't just about voting and registration. And we have just blown all of that up. And I mean, the minute this happened, I thought the, the minute that I saw that the administration was kind of like dismissing all of it, I thought, this is truly awful. These people have no concept of how much work effort, care, trust was built from the ground up in many of these communities and how they just blew it away. They just blew it away. And that's the kind of disconnect that I think is really pathetically awful, frankly. Um, because then when I think about all the folks who did sit together, even during the pandemic, to organize Muslim and Arab communities and refugee communities they were black folks, they were Hispanic folks, they were imams, they were rabbis, they were ministers, all together, working all together, both to help their communities during the pandemic and to register them. And I always say to people, there's this iconic photo for me from the Wisconsin, from the April uh, uh, primaries in Wisconsin, where people are standing in line way, you know, way down the street. Someone's holding a sign saying, this is ridiculous. And it's because, you know, they had all those problems with voting areas and stuff. But the point is that people got out in the cold, wet weather 
and stood in that line because they had been organized in a very deep way. And I really fear that's not going to happen again. Yeah. You mentioned um, Rashida Tlaib and the fact that the the House came together to censor her, to censor the only Palestinian American Congresswoman at a time that this horrible, horrific bombing campaign is going on. I think that's probably one of the more disgraceful things that I've seen happen in the US government that I could remember. Um, we talked in the last episode, just the total discrepancy between the, the completely unhinged people things things that are people are going out and saying, like completely denying the idea of Palestinian civilians even existing at all, advocating to turn Gaza into a parking lot from Lindsey Graham or or Brian Mass or whoever it is, and it's totally just like swept under the rug or no one cares. And then Rashida Tlaib for making this, uh, for for centering the the Palestinian victims of the bombing, um, in addition to the Israeli victims. To talk about the underlying causes of the of the violence, which is you know the apartheid system and the settlements and the the ways Palestinians both in Gaza and on the West Bank have been denied being able to have human rights um, for for years and years and years, getting censored for that, and with her own colleagues coming together to to assist the assist Republicans in that. To me, it's just. It's truly one of the more awful things that I've seen happen in, in the U.S. government. Um, I don't even really have a question. I just I was so kind of I found that so uh, grotesque that whole affair, and I think that's really going to be a of. There's a lot of black stains on the U.S. government for their various acti- actions over the over the years of being the sort of global hegemon. But I think I think that in particular at this exact moment when we're seeing the level of violence that we're seeing. Um, you know, over 10,000 casualties uh, in Gaza right now, over 4,000 children being killed. And the one person in the U.S. government that gets censored is the only Palestinian-American congressman. I think that's really uniquely uh, horrifying uh, at this moment. Totally agree. Grotesque is really the right word. Sh- shameful. I I cried when I watched her talk. I mean, it just, it is utterly shameful. And it was a ritual humiliation. Really, that's what it was. Yeah. And I'm, I am tr- really, really totally disgusted with Hakeem Jeffries for like that letter and not whipping his, his, um, you know, his, but, but, you know, this goes back to, I think something else, which is that the democratic party hates progressives and they do everything they can to marginalize them, including like sending Sean Maloney in to lose a district and lose the house so that we don't have some progressives coming back into the Congress. And, you know, so like this is kind of of a piece. They've done everything they can to marginalize, humiliate and and shame the, the squad and, and the people who believe in progressive values. So this was kind of like the last straw. I just I was so appalled. I, I'm still appalled. And um, yeah, it is grotesque. I totally agree with you. But make sure you come and vote for us at election yeah. season or else the real yeah. bad guys are going to be in charge. I mean, like right. we were saying, it's this has less and less weight, I think, for people when this is how they're how they're acting. It's worth talking about as well, this this what I think is a really kind of scary climate that's developing right now. This kind of like new McCarthyism in a way. Exactly. And the way that now like any support for Palestinians just seems to be getting you know, kind of shunted in this direction of being hate speech or anti-Semitic. Uh, they're focusing on like specific words and phrases and slowly narrowing the, like the, the scope of how people are even allowed to advocate over this. This is not just in America right now. I got to point out from the Canadian angle, uh, there was a rally in Calgary. There's been rallies all across Canada and all across the world. It's really like turning into a global mass movement to su- su- stand with Palestine at this moment which is makes our political leadership all the more out of touch considering how how much energy there is on the ground to to advocate for this but there was someone that was a at this protest who one of the speakers who as you is anyone that's been one of these protests will hear that phrase from the river to the sea palestine will be free it's not a new thing it's been around for decades it's not a new uh turn of phrase that just began now and he was arrested. He got arrested. And he's being charged with hate speech for like using this phrase. And 
I think anyone should be really alarmed by the kind of climate that is is forming right now around this. And the the real deep cynicism, I think, with using, you know, this kind of ideas of hate speech and anti-Semitism, which are genuine real phenomenon that we should be thinking about and talking about and having rules and regulations around, but using this in this very deeply cynical way to promote this kind of like campaign of of violence and ethnic cleansing and limiting the scope of what people can say. People are getting fired from their jobs. Um, you've got Rashida Tlaib getting censored. You've got this situation. I mean, it's like, I think anyone should be alarmed by that. Strangely, I haven't heard much about it from this whole cancel culture, uh, free speech crowd. I'm sure any day now they're going to start noticing that and, and speaking out on it. But it's really something that I think anyone should be alarmed by. Yeah, there was a New York Times reporter that that resigned because she was being attacked for having written a letter. And I read a letter from a, um, from a uh, public defender who had gone to a march in support of Gazans and basically some far right winger filmed her there and distorted the film. And then she's being, she was fired from the public defenders. I'm like, this is nuts. And then you have um, the whole, well, we're going to cancel this Palestinian art show and we're going to take this Palestinian poet off of this, you know, this panel and this book uh, reading can't go forward. It really is scary. I, I think to go back to Tlaib's speech, I think the emotion really captivated a lot of people when she's talking about how she couldn't believe she even needed to say that Palestinian people are not disposable. You saw that real raw emotion with her, but it was inspiring to see the outpouring of support for her in a way that I really can't remember for anybody in the squad facing that kind of backlash from uh, their colleagues, other members of Congress, even right-wing attacks. Definitely outpouring of support for Ilhan at times, but it just yesterday felt very unique. And what I think that represents is just how many people there are demanding justice, calling for Palestinian rights and safety and their freedom and an end to this this brutal attack on Gaza that's leaving 10,000 plus, definitely more by now, uh, dead. And then you look broader and you see these massive marches. You see a huge demonstration in D.C. that I could never really have imagined would occur in D.C. on this issue. We've seen big marches there before, but nothing like this for, for Palestinians. And internationally, this huge movement is cause for optimism. And whether Democrats realize that they need to get on the right side, even if out of self-preservation, Maybe they maybe they won't realize it, but I, it's affirming, even if that's selfish. But it is affirming to know that this is this is the right side because you don't see mass demonstrations calling for more bombs. You don't see more people. You don't see the same sized actions out in the street um, calling for uh, whatever the IDF is doing. Of the people that I know who were firmly in support of what. Israel uh, did in response to Hamas, they've all moved on. I don't even see them talking about this anymore. Maybe your experience, either of your experiences are different, but the people who I saw who were the most ardent were the first few weeks of this campaign, justifying everything Israel is doing, has just gone back to posting as they would or talking how they would any other time. And I think that reflects that. It's even difficult for people in that camp to, to uh, it's a difficult pill for them to swallow. So I'm encouraged by the grassroots movement, this international grassroots movement uh, on this issue. I, I can't imagine. I couldn't have imagined anything like this, especially in D.C., and that gave me a ton of uh, FOMO. I really wanted to be there. I'm with you on all of that. Yeah, well, just like, we were, like we've been talking about, it's been a very alienating time, I think, when we see our whole political class and it's seemingly our whole media class kind of in full lockstep about something that's so horrifying. So it's been uh, definitely inspiring to see the fact that with all the efforts that are being made to limit people's speech and to try and suggest that anyone that's protesting or supporting Palestinians at this time is supporting Hamas or supporting terrorism, I think it's encouraging that 
you know, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands across, uh, or really millions across the world right now are just refusing to be uh, intimidated out of out of speaking out about this. And I think that's that's one thing that is encouraging. And as as scary as this kind of climate is that's forming around this, I really think that like it has been really encouraging and kind of a a salve for the constant stream of uh, horrific images that we've all been exposed to over the last month. Agree totally. I it, it is. Jody, we really want to thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate you and your work. And where can people follow you and, and find more of your work? Um, I'm at JL Jacobson on Twitter, as I'm not going to call it the other thing. And um, basically the same on Blue Sky. And uh, website for our work is going up uh, next week. So I can send you that link or just put it out for people to see. But I'm JL Jacobson and at JL Jacobson, and you can find me there. And then, um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jody. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Bye, guys. <laughs>